God, thank you for your word. And again, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit, by your grace, works in me and through me. And um, use me, Lord. I pray that all of us hear a word from you, God. We need a word from you, God. We desperately need you, maybe more than we realize. So move in every heart. Help us not to be distracted. Help us to just uh, have open ears and eyes and, and uh, give us understanding. And I pray that you change hearts. I pray that people turn to you, Jesus, maybe even for the first time during this service. I pray that people who've been walking with you for a long time recognize that your Holy Spirit wants to continue to transform them and renew their mind. So move here, God. Make me articulate. Uh, may your Holy Spirit anoint this message. And Lord, while it's on my mind, I want to pray for Israel. Um, I pray that you're with that country. I know you are. They're your people. And I pray you're with that nation, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, uh, we're, we're in this series called Pearls. And uh, what we've been looking at is the book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs is written by King Solomon. Um, Solomon is the son of King David. His mom was Bathsheba. And Solomon, uh, he's known for his wisdom. He got to a, a point in his life when he looked at his responsibilities to be a king, and he recognized, I don't have the leadership gifts to do this. So he said a famous prayer. He said, God, would you give me wisdom? And God was pleased with that prayer. And God said, because you didn't ask for riches or fame, I'm going to give you wisdom. Incidentally, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is a great book as well. He's attributed to be the author of that book. And he had like 700 wives, I mean, this guy, he had sex whenever he wanted to have sex. This is a guy who had all the money, all the pleasures, all the fame, and at the end he realizes all of it is meaningless. In fact, the whole duty of man is to fear God and obey his commandments. So I think that's worth reading because in our world, a lot of us, what we do is we chase after all those things, pleasure, money, promotions, sex, whatever it is. We spend a lot of money, a lot of time chasing after all that thing. Thing, believing it's going to give us happiness, and it won't, and it doesn't, and God is the only one that can give us happiness. So that's like a side message, <laughs> but Solomon wrote uh, Proverbs, and there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, and we're looking at relationships today. We're looking at relationships. So I'm going to start with a picture. Anybody? Can anybody identify with this picture? Have you ever been in an argument? Raise your hand if you've been in an argument. If you're not raising your hand, we're going to talk about pride in a little bit. It's all good. All of us have been in an argument. How many times have we said something there was like, I shouldn't have said that, or it exploded, or maybe it was around Thanksgiving, or maybe it was at the house and you were tired. You know, there's this famous saying of halt, you know, before you say a word halt, it's if you're hungry, or if you're angry, or if you're lonely, or if you're tired, <laughs> be careful because those things, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, that's not a good recipe. And it's possible you could say things that you wish you didn't say. And I'll just tell you confessions of a pastor over here. I feel like every time a pastor says, I have something to confess, everybody's like, well, what is he? He's going to say something good now. But uh, I have been in situations when I just totally blew it. 
And I'm so glad you guys were not there to see me. I'm just telling you the truth. I've slammed doors. I've done all that stuff. And I've, I've lost it before, especially in my early days. And, and I'm just glad none of you were around to see that side of me. Because you'd be like, you call yourself a pastor? I mean, that kind of thing. And uh, I, I asked the family yesterday. I said, hey, can you remember a time when we were just... You know, we were in an argument, and they were like thinking about it. And then Grace said, "She said I remember a time, and apparently it was when Josiah was four years old. So for those of you who have little kids, we've been there before. Four years old, and uh, Grace and I were apparently on the phone, and we were arguing or having an enlightened conversation, pretty good, and and just you know going at it. I have no idea what it was about. Which incidentally, that's what it's like all the time, right? Like we don't talk to that family anymore because we had an argument way back when. Well, the argument about, I don't know, but we don't talk to them anymore because it's not happening. <laughs> I don't talk to Aunt Edna no more, whatever. But anyway, so we were arguing on the phone, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was bad enough or whatever it was, and, and Josiah was four years old at the time, and he saw mom arguing with dad, so mom hangs up the phone with me, hangs up the phone before we were going back, hangs up the phone with me, and then Josiah, four-year-old, he's like in his Batman outfit or something like that, and he goes up to mom, and he kicks her in the shin and said, don't fight with my dad. So there's a part of me that I'm pretty proud of that. I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> but I went home and I had a conversation with my son and I said, we don't do that, son. It's a, we don't do that. Mom and I will work things out. And incidentally, little, I think it's good for kids to see mom and dad work things out and see love prevail. I think that's a wonderful thing. So uh, we had a good conversation and we could laugh about it later. Right? <laughs> but when you're in the middle of it, it's hard. Proverbs chapter 17, verse one says this, better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Amen. I'd rather eat like a, give me peanut butter and jelly with peace in the home. And filet mignon and ribs and Alaskan king crab and, you know, crawfish etouffee or whatever. I'd rather have peace in the home above all. So how do you get there? What does peace and quiet look like? I want you to hear this. Your words create your world. Your words determine your destiny. Your words determine the kind of friends that you're going to have. Your words can change the environment in your home. Your words can change your night. You know that? Your words can build people up, but your words can tear people down. Your words can create division, but your words can also bring unity. Your words have the power to destroy a vacation at the beach. You know that? Your words have so much power. Your words can, 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 can change a mood. <laughs> your words can affect other people. And your words also display what's going on inside of your heart. Your words are a tattletale of your heart. And your words publicly tell everyone, this is who I am and this is what I'm working through. James chapter 3 verse 5 says, the tongue is a small thing. It makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on what? Have you been there before? You're like, I just, I'm going to say this, and you just threw like a you know, match 
into a gasoline thing, and there's a raging fire right now. Uh, are there any verbal arsonists? in the house. Are you sitting by a verbal arsonist? Maybe you're the verbal arsonist. I want to help you first. I want to give you seven signs that you might be a verbal arsonist. So here's seven signs. This is not on the screen, so you just got to take notes or whatever. Um, number one, one, first sign you might be a verbal arsonist. You are quick to speak and slow to listen. That's your natural tendency. Number two, when you do listen, you're thinking about your response while they are talking. You're not listening. Number three, most of your relationships are marked with difficulty and pain. You have old relationships. You don't talk to them anymore because words were exchanged and you said things and if you can go back in time, right? Uh, most of your relationships mark difficult to pain. Number four, you make tense situations worse. You have that ability. Or you share your opinion without thinking. Or your first instinct is to, is to criticize. And your last instinct is to encourage. You criticize quickly. You encourage late. Or this, you take pride in proving other people wrong. You enjoy that. It brings you satisfaction. Today, the title of the message is, He Said, She Said. He Said, She Said. We're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. And let me just give you a little disclaimer, a little heads up. When you look at these verses in Proverbs, some of them can sting. You're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. I mean, sometimes in churches, people stay away from verses that might be offensive, but we need to look at the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We need to look at everything. Um, I don't want to say this also in the book of Proverbs. There's, uh, there, there's sometimes there's, um, you know, talks about men or husbands or women or wives. Don't get hung up on that because all of us can demonstrate these characteristics. All of us need the grace of God. So don't get hung up on any of that stuff. Men, women, husband, wives, we're all in this together. Let me say this first. Disagreements are normal. They're normal. It's not realistic to think I'm going to be in a relationship and we're just never going to argue. We're just never going to, you know, disagree. Disagreements can be a good thing. I mean, I was talking to a, a couple that just got married recently, and, and uh, they, they, the guy told me, hey, I just learned that when I get out of the shower, I shake like a dog, and my new wife doesn't like it. And uh, we learn about different stuff, and we're like, okay, you know, I hear that all the time. So when you have disagreements, you really learn about the other person. You learn about the other person, what they like or don't like, and preferences or little idiosyncrasies or whatever it is there. You just learn. So that's a good thing. But there's a wise way and a foolish way to handle disagreements. There's a wise way and a foolish way to communicate. So here it is. Let's start here. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. Chapter 14. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. That means 
foolishness. That's what that means. So a fool is hot-tempered. A fool is hot-tempered. For some of you, this is what you look like. This is the other side of you, right? And, and people know when you walk into the room, they're like, okay, who is he right now? Who is she right now? Did you have a good day? Did you have a bad day? Did they take too long to give you your bristle? Did someone send you a text? Did you have a bad day at work? Whatever it is. And there's this side. You have a short fuse. And everybody knows it. And sometimes when, you, when this is you, you hulk out. You know, sometimes you can use your anger to control the situation. You use your anger to get your way. You use your anger to manipulate others and to be domineering. You can do that. And other people don't want to argue with you, so they back down. And you're used to using your anger that way. Let me just tell you a secret. I'll tell those of you, if you live with a Hulk, you just need to know this. They have insecurities and fears that they don't want you to know about. And they use anger as a camouflage because they distract you that way. It also reflects their, hot, their heart. A fool is hot-tempered. Uh, chapter 16 says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Um, you know, in our world, you know, uh, we, we think, you know, reps is strength and miles is strength and all that kind of stuff. But according to the Bible, the person who rules their spirit is considered strong. This particular verse is comparing someone who is slow to anger with someone who's a military soldier. And he's saying the person who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. In fact, he's better than the one who captures a city. Now, I have never seen anyone get a medal of honor for being slow to anger. Never. We don't value that, you know, publicly like that. But this verse is saying right here, the person who is slow to anger has understanding and is strong. Some of you need to say this prayer. God, help me to rule my spirit. That needs to be your first prayer. Because you just blow it. It doesn't take much for you. You just lose it so quickly. God, help me to rule my spirit. And I want to say this. The only way this could happen is if you allow God to change your heart. It's the only way this works. If you want God's will for your life, and if you really want more of God, and it starts with you saying, God, do a work inside of me, change my heart, change my attitude. You know, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that you can experience the forgiveness of your sins, because God wants to have this relationship with you. That's why God sent Jesus into this world 2,000 years ago. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you, and he wants to hang out with you at Starbucks, wherever you're going. He wants to have a conversation with you every single day. And God sent his son Jesus so that you could know his grace and his love and his presence in your life. And because of the blood of Jesus that was shed on that cross for us, we could now experience the forgiveness of our sins because he was the lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. And in addition to that, Jesus didn't stop there. He died for us, and he rose from the grave after three days, conquered death, kicked the devil in the teeth right there, and then and just kicked death in the teeth right there. And then you know what else he did? He, he rose, rose, he, he went, ascended into heaven, and you know who he sent? 
the Holy Spirit. What's the job of the Holy Spirit? To transform our hearts and renew our minds. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Transform our hearts and renew our minds to make us holy. So the whole, we need the Holy Spirit. Too many times I've seen Christians try to do the right things without the Holy Spirit working in their life. And the Holy Spirit is the one who transforms your temperament. The Holy Spirit. If you, if that, if you don't experience that, here's what's going to happen. You're going to try like your own willpower like be a good person or it's your, your own willpower. Like, okay, I'm not going to blow it. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get upset because that lady in and out didn't help me out. Whatever it was, I, you know, you're like, I'm just going to try my best. I'm just going to tell you right now, you're going to fail. You're going to fail because our willpower is not enough. You need God. You need God. I need God. I can't do it without God. If I'm going to walk by faith, I need God. So your first step is say, God rule my spirit. But you have to say, God, Right here. Change me right here, baby. Change me right here. Chapter 17 says this. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. I think it's so cool that the word cool is in the Bible. Isn't that cool? It's like it's been around for a long time. It's, it's outlasted generations. It's cool. It's cool. But uh, when I, I worked, I did sales and marketing and for a lot of my life before I became a pastor. And I worked in um, Austin, uh, Texas, and it was full of about, I don't know, 30 men. And you can imagine what an environment of 30 men is like. Yep, that's where it was. We used to have a Bible study, and it was a cool thing. But anyway, um, the VP was also the branch manager, and uh, he, he gave me his business card. One day, I was, I was away from my desk, and he put his business card on my desk, and I flipped it over, and it was Proverbs 17, verse 27, on the back of his business card. Completely written out, just like that. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. I still have that business card today. But you know what he was telling me? Reuben, you talk too much. You don't need to say everything that's on your mind. You need to control your tongue. You lack understanding. You need to manage your spirit. I was so grateful for that. At the time, it stung a little bit, right? At the time, it stung a little bit. And, and you know, how does it feel when someone calls you out? How does it feel? Men, I mean, Scripture says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, what dude is speaking truth into your life? And sometimes we can receive it or we can reject it. You know, I talk to you about your, you call yourself a Christian? Well, then. You call yourself a good person? Well, then. You call yourself a good husband? Well, then. You say that, you know, you're doing this and you're, and we can respond with anger and we can say, who are you to judge me, right? Who are you to judge me? But there's a place there is a place for one brother to call out another brother. There is a time, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Proverbs chapter 26 is like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire. So is a contentious man to kindle strife. So here's this message here. If there's conflict inside of the person, they're going to enjoy conflict outside of them as well. And many times, in, as you know, in arguments, there's really, we, we don't argue about the, the root issue. <laughs> we argue about something silly, but the root issue is not being discussed. It's been said hurt people hurt people, right? 
I want to say one more thing. Forgiven people forgive people. When you've tasted the forgiveness of God in your life, you know what? It's hard to be angry to others because you know God's been so gracious and patient with you, right? You've been, God's been so good to you. So forgiven people forgive people as well. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Have you ever been there before when, you know, you're in the kitchen or at the house or whatever it is, or you're at work or whatever, and, and someone says something and, and you're thinking, and you're thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. And right before you say it, you hear this little voice say, don't you say that. And what do you do? You say it anyway. And you spend the rest of the night paying the consequences for that word. Maybe it lasts two days or three days or a whole week because you said that. What kind of home did you grow up in? What did conflict and fighting and arguing, how was it resolved in your home? Typically, we just, our parents are our first teachers and our important teachers, and we just kind of emulate that. We just, we just do that. Uh, chapter 20 says this, Keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool will quarrel. How easy is it for someone to get a rise out of you? I mean, if I talk about the Broncos, is that, I mean, are we, are we, going, are we throwing down all of that? I mean, if I, some of you, maybe. How about, how about if this, if I talk about your character? Whoa, are we, are we, am I, am I crossing the line? How about if this, how about if I talk about the way you treat your spouse? Are you upset about that? Are you thinking, who are you to do that? How about if I say, Hey, you call yourself a Christian. You don't even do this and you don't even do this and you don't even do this. And did we just cross the line again? What about the words? How about this? If I talk about your kids, I'm gone, right? You're looking for another church now. My kids are perfect, right? My kids are perfect. How about if I talk about your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Hear this. You don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. You need to know that. Just because someone says something to you and it stirs you, it doesn't mean you have to jump into that and you have to start arguing. Chapter 16 says a worthless man digs up evil while his words are like scorching fire. Your words matter. That foolish, worthless man, you know what he does? He does not think before he hits the send button. He just says, you know what, I'm just going to respond like this and text is really quick or emails really quick and doesn't think about the consequences. The wise person will sit on it a little bit and say, oh, I sure want to say this, but I'm going to give it some time because I'm not in a good place right now. That's the wise person who is under control of their spirit. Kevin DeYoung said, you, need to, you don't need to download everything that you think about. You don't need to do that. Just because it comes to your mind does not mean it's true. It doesn't mean it's true. Chapter 17 says, even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. Think about that. Even a fool is considered wise when they keep their mouth shut. 
It shows discipline. Chapter 26, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Are you wise in your own eyes? Wow. Is the only person who can speak truth to you the one in the mirror? Are you wise in your own eyes? Pride is incredibly powerful. Pride will prevent you from seeing your own faults, but you will have the ability to see the faults of everybody else. Pride will keep you from learning and growing. Pride will keep you from turning to God. Pride will keep you from turning to Jesus. And pride has this ability to keep you from seeing God's love. You know more. You know more. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. All of us can experience pride. Haven't you seen a prideful Christian? All they do is throw some scripture verses around it and say, you know, Christian things and say, God told me and God, come on now. You've seen that happen before. You've seen that happen before. And haven't you ever heard this, this before? I say what other people are afraid to say. I was uh, with this couple many years ago and this, her husband was one of those guys that you just didn't know what he was going to say. You just didn't know it. You know, you have any relationships like that with that person where you're like, you just don't know what mood they're in and nobody can tell them anything and they're going to say whatever they're going to say. And she's the one who told me, she said it with such pride within her own heart. And she said, my husband, he says what other people are afraid to say. And she said it like, like she won the lottery or something like that. <laughs> like, and I'm thinking, are you serious? First of all, you can't even keep track with your own thoughts. What makes you think you can read other people's minds? You're having a hard enough time working through your own thoughts. You don't know what other people are thinking. But when you say that, again, there's this pride in that comment when you say that. Here's the newsflash. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. It's possible for you to have the wrong thoughts. It's possible for you to be listening to the wrong voice. And we have a tendency to believe whatever we tell ourselves. That's pride. Serial killers. Serial killers have one thing in common. You know what they have in common? The incapacity for empathy. No ability to put themselves in someone else's shoes. No ability to think how actions may affect others. And you don't have to be a serial killer to have the same sort of flaw. Show empathy. Pride imp impacts our ability to empathize with others. I'm going to share something with you that I hope will change your perspective when you talk to people, when you interact with people. Here it is. Everyone is fighting a battle you know nothing about. The person sitting next to you is fighting a battle you know nothing about. The person on the stage is fighting a battle you know nothing about about. So your words are incredibly powerful because you don't know what they're working through. You can say a discouraging word to them, or you can pride yourself and say, no, I'm going to say this. And you can say a discouraging word, but here's what you don't know. The devil's already been at them the whole week. And you're number five to say a discouraging word. You're number five. 
and you don't know where that's going to set them. You don't know what's going to, how they're going to respond to that. Everyone is under construction. <laughs> we all need the grace of God. Everyone is suffering from at some level from something. Everyone has been hurt, and we're all working through being healed by the grace of God. All of us need the grace of God. Everyone's trying to do better. Chapter 26, look at this. Just as damaging as a madman shooting, a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and then says, what church? <laughs> I was only joking. I've said that before. I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. It's so manipulative. And, and I'm just speaking openly. It's so manipulative because you could say something and the essence of a joke. I mean, let's be honest. What, what stings in the joke is there's a hint of truth in it, right? That's what's hard about a joke. There's a hint of truth in it, but we're really not having a conversation about this because you said it in a joking way. So it's not really a let's have a conversation. It's I'm going to prod you with this right here and I'm going to say this and it's going to ouch that hurt. And you know what? If you take it wrong, you know what I'm going to say? You just need thicker skin. I was only joking. You see how unfair that is? Totally unfair. You know, the best, I shouldn't say the best, the easiest jokes that you see, the most common jokes, let's say it that way, the most common jokes that you see involve tearing someone else down, making fun of someone else, right? Those are easy jokes. Those are t-ball jokes. It's always easier to tear down others, but it's not good. Your words hurt. Your words sting. And you might say, oh, they can't take a joke. And then you know what you're saying? They lack maturity. They lack maturity. Your feelings of hurt are invalid. So don't joke around with people if it involves tearing them down or degrading them or making fun of them. Check it out. Here's what else Proverbs says. Hold on. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as constant dripping on a rainy day. I said that last night, and a woman said, Amen. A woman said that. I just want you to know that, ladies, before you throw any fruit at me. I just want you to know that. You want me to move on, or you want to stop at this verse for a little bit longer? I'll move on. Verse 16. <laughs> Stopping her complaints is like trying to stop the wind. We're trying to hold something with greased hands. Every man is smiling. Stop smiling, bro. <laughs> it's both. All of us could be like this. Men too. Men too. I was talking to a guy and he was with this woman and and I, I said, man, your, your woman, you know, she's pretty quiet. And he goes, yeah, she's not like that at home. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Wow. I was at someone's house many years ago. I'm not going to tell you where, who, or anything. But uh, I was at someone's house, and, and there was uh, several families involved, and there was uh, we were eating dinner together, and there was a woman sitting across me. And it was one of those conversations that kind of started off like uh, playful 
and joking. You know what I'm talking about? We're all laughing. We're having fun. And I'm not sure. Well, I'm probably, if I think about it hard enough, I think I can remember. But uh, at one point in the conversation, it went from like playful to, ooh, that's a little bit sensitive what they're playing around now. You know what I mean? Have you been in those conversations? Like it started off with laughter, but now we're, we're going into an area that someone could take it wrong. You know what I'm talking about? And when that happened, I thought, ooh, we, we need to change the subject. We need to back off. And sometimes people don't have the maturity to back off because there's laughter that keep going. And that's what was happening. And the woman across me, I was waiting for it. And she lost it. She lost it. I mean, it was below the belt stuff. It was bringing up the past. I mean, it just became a kitchen sink thing. And she was yelling. And I mean, it was, she was there. That didn't surprise me. You know what surprised me? Her son. Her son was a teenager, and he was sitting down right by her, eating his corn on the cob, and mashed potatoes, and chicken, and the whole time while she was yelling, he was just like he didn't miss a beat. He didn't miss a beat. I mean, it didn't phase him at all. That surprised me. You know what that told me? He's used to arguing like that in the house. He's used to tempers flying. He's used to mom losing it. And it's become his norm. It's become his norm. So we have to be careful. There's people around us watching all the time. Chapter 21. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Um, Vashti Acosta, she wrote this article called Confessions of a Quarrelsome Woman. And I thought I'd share her words with you because I think every man and woman can help or be helped with this, her testimony. She said, it was, clear, it was a clear picture of who I was. I stared at those verses and remembered scenes at work or home where someone around me whispered, she's in one of those moods. And I could sense they'd rather be any place else but near me. My family and friends were often walking on eggshells, afraid to say or do anything. The verdict was in, guilty. I was a quarrelsome, ill-tempered woman. Even I hated being around me. I cried out, Lord, why am I like this? Help me, change me. God showed me three culprits at work in my life. Pride, discontent, and pleasure seeking. She said, I, I had pride. I wanted control. I thought I was better at deciding the route we should take. And my desire for control mushroomed into believing that I always knew better than my husband. This is a common disease among wives. Even when our husbands have proven themselves to be responsible, thoughtful, and intelligent men, why else would we have married them? Still, we want to believe that we know everything. A quarrelsome woman that harbors discontent is never satisfied. She wants her husband to bring flowers. One day he does. Oh, but they weren't red roses. She's never satisfied. She is always craving more. I didn't get what I wanted. 
I didn't go see our favorite TV show or didn't get to go to the gym or didn't have lunch. And, and instantly you put on quarrels, a quarrelsome face and no one can stand being near you. The world owes you. The next time my husband took the long way to a destination, I took a deep breath and enjoyed the beautiful scenery along the way. <laughs> scenery I'd never noticed before. I chose not to be in control of every little thing and accepted the freedom of not making every little decision. What a difference it made, exclamation point. This other woman said this, this is good for all of us. Watch what you say and how you say it. You may not speak in tongues, but you can speak in tones. Isn't that good? Are you mindful of your tone? Is that all we got? Is that all we got? What are we doing tonight? Whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you can speak in tones and you've said a whole essay just in your tone. I know you say, I only said five words. Oh, but the tone, you said it. And then you say, no, 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 no. You said it like this. And you know what they say? I didn't say it like that. And they come back and they say it in a different tone. I'm like, where was that? Where, where was she? Where was he at? You gaslight them. I'm not losing my mind. You said it like that. Are you mindful of your tone? The way you say things. It matters. It matters. Be self-aware. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. Interesting. How in the world? Do you see this? All of a sudden, I mean, this ability to rule your spirit can actually affect your soul. We're talking soul talk now. Have you ever considered the words that come out of your mouth can spiritually affect, they're spiritually connected to your soul? Now we're talking about life and death and heaven and hell and relationship with God. Your words have power. One study from Emily Herfey and, and Marcio Lasada. This was in 2004. They did this study, and here's what they discovered in this study. The ideal praise-to-criticism ratio was 5 to 1, meaning for every negative comment you make, you need to share five positive comments. You can take that in your friendships. You can take that in your home. You can take that at work. You can take that, you know, with your employees, whatever. You just need to know for everyone, there needs to be five. You know what else that tells me? Negative comments are more sticky. Don't we remember the bad news easier? Don't we remember the, 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 the bad word, the discouraging word easier? You could have a whole bunch of good things happening, but all you're thinking about is that one bad apple, right? <laughs> you're just thinking about what he said or what she said. It's because negative comments are sticky. They're sticky. I love being around encouraging people. Here at church, we have a lot of encouraging people. I'm thinking one of them, sweet Nancy. That woman, she attends our church. We have several Nancys, so they're all encouragers. But when I said Nancy, many of you knew exactly who I was talking about. 
I, Brian's a great encourager too. I just like hanging around him. I like hanging around these encouragers because it's easy to be discouraged in life, right? It's easy to beat yourself up. It's easy to do that. But hanging around someone who says, you know what? Everything's good. Everything's going to be all right. You're doing great. You're doing amazing. You're awesome. Doesn't that feel good? Let me give you some practical things. When you're in an argument, first of all, um, avoid using the word you. You do this. You always, You do this and you do this. Because that's threatening. Instead, take ownership and say, I, I need help understanding this or whatever it is. And in fact, don't even call it a fight because a fight means, you know, it's combative, right? The word fight just means combative. You can call it a, you know, disagreement. You can call it an argument. How about this? Call it a conversation. One of the marks of spiritual growth and relationship growth is you're able to talk about sensitive things in a conversation. I mean, haven't you had one of those conversations with your, whoever it is, and I've had these, where you're thinking, okay, I'm just going to have this conversation, I'm going to bring up something, and we should probably, it'll probably be about five minutes working it out, and you bring it up, and it's not five minutes, (laughs) it's not five minutes, it's hours, and you're like, wow, I didn't expect it to go that long. One of the marks of spiritual growth and relationship maturity and relationship growth is you're able to talk about sensitive things in a conversation. Let me give you some homework. This is going to be, this is practical stuff for you. This week, maybe it starts today. This week, practice not getting the last word. That's going to be hard for some of you. I mean, you're going to be like, you know, you just have to say, someone's going to say something and you're going to want to say something back and you're going to be like, <laughs> you're going to be like that. And that also applies to this. Mm-hmm. That's the last word. Don't do that either. You don't have to make a sound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Quiet. Practice not getting the last word. I just lost like 80% of the room. I can feel that. You're like, I don't know if I can do it. You can do it. It's okay. It's okay. You're not that wise anyway. We all need God. We all need God. We're all under construction. Practice not getting the last word. That'll force you to listen a little bit better. The other thing I've discovered is taking a half step. Grace and I, you know, I'm so grateful for her. She's such a blessing in my life in many, 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 many ways. But we've learned to take a half step. You know, like even when it doesn't make sense, even when I don't understand her perspective, even when I don't get why she's upset or whatever it is, I'm going to take a half step because I want her to know I love her. And you know what I've discovered when I do that? She takes a half step too. It's okay. And just because I don't feel it, or I don't think it, or I don't perceive it, or I don't hurt like it doesn't mean it doesn't, it's not reality for her. Doesn't mean that. So I, I tell, we've learned to take a half step. Proverbs chapter 24, I'll close with this. By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Here's my prayer, is we all go home to a house of peace today. 
Doesn't that feel good? How about this? Peace in that relationship. You want peace in that relationship? You want peace of heart? You want peace of mind? Your first step is to turn to Jesus. You need God to help you. You need God to transform your heart. And you're here at church right now, and God is a good God, and he loves you, and he cares about you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And this is where it starts, right here. Because out of the heart, everything flows. It's Proverbs 4, 23. Out of the heart, everything flows. So you let God start right here first. Maybe that means turning to Jesus, asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Or maybe some of you are that, you know, you're that Hulk, and everybody knows it. And God wants to change you today. Let me pray for you. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. If you're ready to receive Jesus, would you say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to turn to you right now. I, I need help. I, I, I have uh, sinned in my life, and I desperately need a Savior. So right now, as best as I can, I ask you, Jesus, to be my Lord, my Savior, my God. I choose to become a Christian this morning. Take over my life. Change my heart. And put your Holy Spirit inside of me, because <laughs> I need it. Others of you might need to say this, God, help me to rule my spirit. Help me to rule my spirit. May your Holy Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. May I get more of your Holy Spirit so I have more self-control. I pray to be slow to anger. I pray to have a cool spirit. Even when there's drama around me, even when words are thrown all over the place and people go below the belt. Help me to rule my spirit. God, I want to please you in every way, so I ask you, God, to transform me on the inside. I pray that people see me as an encourager. I pray that people see me as a safe place to talk. And they don't worry about me flying off the handle anymore. Instead, they know I have a cool spirit. And may they see you, Jesus. May I forgive like you've forgiven me, always. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray all this. Amen.